welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one. Those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their faces after the first film. I'm your host, Tucker, and this is my NPR voice. Unfortunately, Brett and Steven are holed up in a remote cabin with Oscar Isaac, wondering why the drone is coming back so soon. So we're going to add another entry to our revisited series by rebroadcasting episode 56. Originally broadcast on September 30th of 2021, our boys discussed the outcast of the Bond films on Her Majesty's Secret Service. The social media information in this rebroadcast may not still be accurate. The correct social media information will be in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is Disenfranchised. The name's podcast, Disenfranchised Podcast. That's right, we're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and my co-host skiing rapidly down the side of a Swiss Alp. It's Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hi, Stephen. I've got this martini prepared for you. Uh, Vodka, I hope that's okay. Uh, as long as it's shaken and not stirred. By by luck, it actually is shaken and not stored. Stir- stored? Oh my gosh, stored? this this is the worst podcast ever. Shut it all down. We're done. That's it. Like you're just, you're, podcast you're bon- over. You're a bond from Wisconsin. <laughs> oh yeah. Make like sure you get that, uh, that uh, vodka martini stirred. Shake and not stirred, eh? <laughs> Name's Bond James Bond, eh? Oh great! Now that now we have uh, now we have offended everybody, both the British and the people from the Minnesota Wisconsin area. Um, hey, it's the Disenfranchised Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. <laughs> this is going to be a great episode. I can already tell. And uh, yeah, there is uh, there's a new James Bond movie coming up, and so as such, we have elected Brett to talk about what movie. Uh, we're talking about the one and only failed franchise in the Bond oeuvre on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service, starring George Lazenby, Diana Rigg, Telly Savalas, Gabrielle Verzetti, uh, Ilsa Stepat, Lois Maxwell, George Baker, Bernard Lee, Bernard Horsfall, Desmond Llewellyn, uh, and many, many others, uh, including but not limited to the great Joanna Lumley in one of her very first film roles. But yeah, uh, I and I hear what you're saying, Stephen Brett. This is part of the Bond franchise. It absolutely is, and you're right. Except every other Bond got to make at least one other movie. Lazenby did not. In fact, Lazenby. We'll talk about why there was not a sequel to uh, Lazenby's fr- Bond franchise. Uh, but there was only one Lazenby Bond film, and so it technically counts. As a failed franchise starter, or at least we're technically counting it as a failed franchise starter. Um, And so basically, this is our way to talk about Bond. Uh, So we're going to talk about Bond in advance of No Time to Die. It's it's no different than like Solo or or movies like that. We're like, look, yes, is it a single movie? 
in a larger franchise that you could make an argument that it's part of the franchise, sure. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we've just given you at least two reasons why it fits. Yeah, I mean, it, and I mean, look, we'll, we'll get into all of it for sure. Um, but for now, Brett, what is your familiarity with the Bond franchise? Uh, what is your familiarity with this film? Uh, do you have larger thoughts on Bond, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, so my history with the Bond franchise is nearly zero. <laughs> uh, unfortunately for the audience and you. Um, Let me take a guess, if I may. Mm-hmm. Your entry into the franchise begins with GoldenEye, the video game. Absolutely, Steven. You've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> uh, if you were a kid in the 90s who had a Nintendo 64 and at least two friends, you were probably playing the hell out of GoldenEye. I had neither uh, an N64, nor did I have two friends. So I was kind of out on that. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to have not only two friends, I had enough friends to play four-player on-screen co-op. Well, la-dee-da! I know! <laughs> and my own N64. I was living the high life as a teenager. Who knew? Man. So, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, most of my Bond knowledge is going to be modern-day Bond. I think, judging by my reaction to the Itali- the original Italian job, I'm not much of an Anglophile. And the old school Britishness of the older Bond films isn't really my thing. Sure. I like the later, more tech heavy, you know, gadgets Mm -hmm. and that sort of spy uh, shenanigans. I'm into that more. Uh, But overall, not really a Bond guy. Wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, man. Like, I apologize to you. I apologize to the listeners. You're gonna, you're gonna see over the course of this episode. I don't know a whole lot, and uh, you're probably not gonna be happy with my opinion about this movie either. Uh, I have a feeling I'm not going to be. Um, here's the thing: there are really only two camps you can come come at for this movie. One is it's a masterpiece. The other is it's hot hot garbage. And I think you and I are gonna fall basically evenly on either side of that argument. Um, because I think this movie is great and I'm not a huge James Bond fan. I think my intro, I mean, obviously my intro to the character was the Brosnan era, though. I think I do remember seeing snippets of like the Roger Moore or Sean Connery bonds on like the TBS marathons that they used to do in the late nineties. Um, but I don't think I ever watched like sat down and watched a whole one of those. It was always kind of bits and pieces here and there, uh, scattered. Um, but you know, I think the first bond movie I saw in its entirety was probably the first one I saw in the theaters, which is, uh, the world is not enough. And then wait, it was, was it, which came first? The world is not enough or tomorrow never dies. Uh, the world is no, tomorrow it's tomorrow never dies. Tomorrow never dies is the first one I saw in theaters. Okay. Tomorrow never dies comes out in 97 world is not enough comes out in 99. So Tomorrow Never Dies is the first Bond I see in theaters. After that, I do see the remaining Brosnan Bonds in um, in theaters before uh, Die Another Day. Just puts me completely off the franchise altogether, um, as it did many other people, which is why they had to hard reboot the franchise after that one. Um, but I've uh, last year in quarantine, uh, I 
needed like many people desperately needed something to do so i went and watched all the bonds which were mostly streaming on hulu at the time uh, so i watched all the bonds in order so now i know so much about james bond um and uh it's it's a fun fr- it's not my favorite spy franchise james bond is far from my favorite spy uh like fictional spy um i i think i've mentioned on this podcast before that my favorite fictional spy is george smiley um because i like the like spycraft in like clandestine rooms and like secret glances and like actual spycraft which is part of why i think this movie is really awesome because it it's not the goofy gadgets the space age stuff it's very much it's very grounded very much something that could probably happen um and i think that with the exception of like the weird mind control subplot that kind of gets dropped <laughs> um but uh no it's 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 a fun movie and uh i think it's great and i'm very excited to talk about james bond well i have the opposite opinion as you may have already figured out everybody um brett's in the I, hot garbage camp well i i can't say it's hot garbage so much as just like boring i thought it was really boring for a bond movie like i mean and like it it has everything going for it like it has car chases it has ski kind of brutal like ski chases mm-hmm. um that ski chase hell yeah was brutal um it's got one of the best bond girls it's got one of the best bond villains and and yeah and it, but it, like i found myself constantly falling asleep and are you sure that's not just because you were watching it at the end of a very long day i mean that's impossible but i <laughs> It very well could be, uh, but I still, but still, uh, uh, still though, when you're like an hour and forty five into it, and you go and you check the time, and there's still forty five minutes. Ah, you love to see it, and you're like, there's still forty five minutes of this movie. Are you out of your damn mind? Nope. Um, I just couldn't do it. Uh, so, spoilers. I also didn't finish this movie. Um, that's how much I did not care for it. Now, does that make my opinion invalid? I will let you decide. Uh, <laughs> some would say yes. Others who already think this movie is bad will probably be like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but okay, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see in the comments um, that we don't have. Um, <laughs> you can find us on social media. Let, let us know who's right here. We are we are at disenfranchpod on pretty much all of them. Yeah, so uh, that's where I I fell on it because I just didn't feel like because like I said I'm more of the you know gadget heavy you know seeing them do cool stuff and drive cool cars and not so much the real spy stuff quote unquote yeah which is that's the stuff I eat up with a spoon I love it yeah so that's that's where I fall. All right. Well, I guess that's all we've got for today. Uh, Thanks for listening to our Majesty's Secret Service episode. No, we're going to get into it. Don't even worry about it. Good night, Uh, everybody. Good night, everybody. We're going to get into it. Don't even worry about it. So Sean Connery leaves the Bond franchise, kind of is sick of the character, wants to do other things, like most actors who've been typecast into a specific kind of role. Uh, And so the search goes on for the next James Bond, because as they promise at the end of every James Bond movie, James Bond will return and return. He did. 
So, question, Stephen. Yeah. Can you, this is sort of like a small little side tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you think off the top of your head of when an actor has done that mm-hmm. and it's actually worked? I mean, depending on your opinion of Connery as Bond, you the, the Bond franchise, potentially, because that franchise continues on for decades after he leaves it. Um, well, I mean, like an actor leaves a part because he doesn't want to be typecast and then goes on to be successful doing other stuff. Putting me on the spot like that, I'm not thinking of anything immediately, although I'm sure there are examples that I'm sure our listeners will probably be more than happy to let me know about. I mean, Connery is a fairly good example because Connery does find a great deal of success after he leaves the role of James Bond. Uh, He wins his Oscar in the 90s uh, for The Untouchables. Uh, I mean, like he goes on to become fairly successful. So in Connery's case, at least it absolutely works Um, in terms of like the other actors who've played Bond. It doesn't really work at all. Like Roger Moore was never more famous than when he was playing Bond. Same with Lazenby. Brosnan has most of the rest of his career after Bond is mostly supporting roles. Uh, He doesn't really get um, the chance to lead a film, let alone a franchise after that. Um, so, I mean, in terms of this franchise, it doesn't, I mean, jury's still out on Craig. He's still got the knives out movies. So I'm just hoping he goes full bore into just weird stuff. Like, uh, like he was doing with Soderbergh in, um, Logan Lucky and like he's doing with Ryan Johnson and knives out. Like, I'm just hoping we just lean full into that or he leans full into that. But yeah, I mean, in terms of other actors and other franchises, Robert Downey Jr. is trying it now. Doesn't really seem to be working out well for him. Yeah, it's, I mean, maybe this is a bad opinion to have, but it's always come off as the most pretentious thing in the world to me. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to be typecast as this incredibly popular character anymore. I'm above that. I'm an actor. Well, as an actor, it gets, it gets really limiting, like in terms of, because you want to have a career, right? You want to have longevity. This is your job. And so, if there's only one thing that you're able to do that anyone thinks that you're able to do, it becomes increasingly less fun. Um, as an actor, I worked with a particular theater group here in Indianapolis, a community theater group for a long time. And I did a lot of, of plays with them, but it, they were mostly comedies. And one director cast me in a drama and two of the directors that I had worked with for that company previously came to one of the shows and they pulled the director of that show aside and said, I had no idea Steven could do that because you never gave me the chance to do that. Like some actors might surprise you and some actors do have a lot more in their repertoire. Other actors think they're more versatile than they are. Um, so I think it depends on the actor. Um, I mean, there's a difference between like a character actor and a, um, a personality actor, like a personality actor is the kind of person who just plays the same role, regardless of what they're in, like a a Sean Connery or a John Wayne. And they can have a great deal of success doing that. But I mean that what you see is what you get pretty much. Whereas a personality or a, I'm sorry, a, a character actor is known for playing lots of different characters and they like taking on a lot of different kinds of roles. They're the ones that might surprise you when they pop up in a comedy, but can play comedy as well as drama, as well as whatever else you might ask of them. They're usually guys like Benicio del Toro, who will show up and do like five minutes of just the weirdest stuff imaginable in a guardians of the galaxy or a star Wars movie. And then, you know, go on and do like, I don't know, 
a Che Guevara mi- uh, movie, you know, like that's just the kind of, of actor that they are and the kind of thing they can do. Um, so, I mean, there are different kinds of actors. Some actors are personality actors, but like to fancy themselves um, character actors. Some actors start as character actors. And then once they find their niche, they find it really difficult to get back out of that either because of the public perception or because certain ticks and certain things have become so ingrained in their acting style that they can't get rid of those now. Um, I think that's an example of what we're seeing in Robert Downey Jr., who was in his youth an incredibly versatile actor, but I think he's just been playing Iron Man for too long. Like we'll talk about Doolittle on this podcast at some point, but like Doolittle is very much uh, the kind of role where you're like, well, that's, that's just Tony Stark trying to be British really is what that is. So it, it doesn't, I don't, in my mind, it's unsuccessful in part because of that. It's unsuccessful for a lot of other reasons, but that's a big part of why I think that movie is unsuccessful. But again, we'll have a Doolittle episode at some point. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, and that, look, that's the sort of insight that I wouldn't have had because I'm not an actor, whereas Steven is. Strictly so, amateur, but hey, still counts. Look, man, still counts. And that's the sort of perspective that I did not have. So fair enough. Thank you for that. No Very informative. And carry on. No problem. Uh, so Connery steps aside. And, and again, in his, in his particular case, it ends up working out pretty well uh, because he does end up getting a good deal of success um, after he plays Bond. Uh, but in the steps, George Lazenby, who pretty much and it's it's kind of a big, almost Scarlett O'Hara level search for the next James Bond, which. Uh, for those that don't know, in the in the late 30s, early 40s, when they announced that they were going to be doing a Hollywood version of um, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind, David O. Selznick pretty much goes on this massive search for Scarlett O'Hara, where he is screen testing like hundreds of women across the country to play this very iconic character, this very iconic role before the role ultimately goes to Vivian Lee, who is perfect in that movie. Um I mean, the movie itself, problematic as hell. She is incredibly good in that movie. And the ne- the search for James Bond kind of had a similar vibe to it. Like every time there's a Bond actor steps, steps aside, there's always like, who's going to be the next James Bond? And like, there's a bunch of attention paid. Like this was the first time that it happened. So the idea that someone else would be playing James Bond was kind of huge. Um, and so they're searching all over high and low. Uh, in comes this Australian model named George Lazenby, who secures the role by doing one incredibly savvy thing. Before his audition, he calls up the tailor shop in Seville Row. Is the audio bad? Okay, you were wincing, so I wasn't sure if the it was there was an audio issue. Oh no! I just went, I didn't know this guy was a model. Oh yeah. I was like. Ah, oh, no wonder he's so bad. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> he ends up securing the role of James Bond by doing one incredibly important thing. He goes to the tailor shop on Savile Row in London, where Sean Connery got his suits and basically saw that there was a suit there that Sean Connery had never picked up. It was Connery's suit. He had never picked it up. It was just sitting there in this tailor shop. And Lazenby says, fit me for that suit. And so the tailor does, fits him for the suit. He shows up for his audition in Connery's suit. So he walks in and essentially they're like, you look like James Bond. 
And that is ultimately what secures him the role. Like he walks in and he is James Bond. Um, and so he ends up securing the role based on that. Uh, <laughs> Brett's having feelings right now. <laughs> oh, God. No, look, no wonder this guy has sucked. And no wonder he didn't get a second movie. You cast him because he looked the part. They didn't bother to audition the man and his acting ability at all. I'm no, I'm sure they did, but they. It, here's the thing: you, if you want, like a scene, it's it's the late '60s, Brett. Like image is everything, and Bond, the image of Bond is the image of cool. Well, like sure. that's what it is. It's that effortless coolness. But did you did you say the name of this tailor shop? By the way, was it mentioned? I did not know. Was it the king? I don't know the name of the tailor shop. I just know that it is the tailor that that Sean Connery went to. Was was it the Kingsman by any chance? No, it was not. It was not that tailor shop. Okay. Here's here's, Brett. I I don't want to be the one to break this to you. Uh huh. But that's not real. What? No. How dare you? (laughs) I know. I'm very sorry. You've crushed my dreams. (laughs) I'm so sorry, buddy. I want to join their ranks one day. I, but you're not British. That's a problem. Shut up. I can be whatever I want to be. Not with that accent. You can't. Yeah, that was real bad, wasn't it? <laughs> that was pretty, pretty awful. Oh, pretty unimpeachable, terrible. my friend. That, oh, that was real bad. I'm very, <laughs> I apologize to everyone listening. Oof. Oof. Um, yeah, that was, oof. but the, um, no, I mean, it's the same thing. Like when you hear Americans talking about how they're waiting for their Hogwarts letter, I'm like, no, you're, you're, you're going to get, <laughs> You're going to get a letter from Ilvermorny and you're going to like it because you don't get Hogwarts letters in America. I'm sorry. Owls don't fly over oceans. It's not going to happen. Nope. Sorry. Hate to be the one to break that to you, but that's just how it is. This is kind of crush your dreams. That's that's what I'm apparently that's my role on this podcast. But to to that point, though, uh, that's the sort of spy movie that I'm into just over the top gadgets and just like over the top action. Just like, yeah, that's, that's not surprising. Kingsman for days. I love all of those movies. Well, and Kingsman itself is kind of a, it's, it's a kind of riff on the classic James Bond model, just cranked up to 11. Oh yeah, for sure. So, whereas I'm just, I, for me, the Kingsman movies are a a bridge too far. I'm just like, is there any way we could take this and just strip it of everything that makes it different and just like set it in a quiet room in the like in the middle of like the winter somewhere? Like, (laughs) could we do that? Maybe is that like and just have a bunch of people like suspecting each other like that? Because that's really cool. I like that. (laughs) You just want to watch some people play like One Night Ultimate Werewolf for like. Hell yes. For like an hour. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's that sounds perfect. Uh, but no, one of my favorite movies of the last decade is a movie we will absolutely cover on this podcast. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I absolutely love it. Brett will absolutely hate it. He will fall asleep seven times before the end of the movie and probably not finish that one either. Uh, but I cannot wait to talk about that movie because uh, we're never going to get the rest of that. And it's based on a long running series. Okay. Smiley was kind of the anti bond. And so that's kind of why I love him. Look, I don't mind, you know, some good who's who's actually doing the thing and you know it's the like, intrigue, it's the betrayal, the it's the, the, betrayal. the triple not, cross. It's oh, I don't I love mind it. that. Like that's fine. I like a good murder mystery. Knives out is fantastic. Knives like, out I, is great. Don't, I don't 
it's the it's when you include that into a like a big political spy thriller like you you dump that into a big political spy thriller and it's but like here's the job. thing that's what spy thrillers initially were yes i mean sure like it, it's all the intrigue it's all the betrayal it's all the who do you trust what do you do how do you get out of this situation kind of thing bond is the one that cranked all that up to 11 and made it into this weird gadget heavy like there's a super secret evil organization at foot kind of ruling the world from behind the shadows like bond was the one that kind of did all that and because of its popularity really sent the template set the template excuse me for spy movies going forward and honestly i think that's way cooler that there's like you know you got this Here's one the... guy with all these cool gadgets he's like a superhero fighting this like illuminati style evil or empire behind everything that's way cooler than just like yeah, Russia really hates China, and we're going to send this guy in to hopefully stop it. Whatever. Here's the thing, though, Brett. You're in the majority, so you don't have to really defend that position. See, I don't uh, know. Because like, like, as much as I love those style of movies, I don't watch them all that much. And I'm also not in that discourse. So I, until you just said that, I had no idea I was in the majority. I feel like I was in the minority. But hey, cool. I'm in the majority. Hey, no, I mean, because you're in the majority because that's like very emblematic of the type of movie that just gets made anymore. Like that's the only kind of like the big superhero guy facing a giant organization like that. That's what. uh, Oh, was that uh, Winter Soldier? Captain America, the Winter Soldier was pretty much. And uh, people think that's the best Marvel movie. So, I mean, there's 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 a there's a point there. There's there's, you know, something to be said for all of that. I just, for my part, uh, love those quiet thrillers where it's all about, you know, the intrigue and the the actual spy craft, which is why I think this movie is so good, because it's it's about James Bond actually doing spy shit as opposed to, you know, building a opening a suitcase and a helicopter popping out of it, um, you know. That which is something that totally happens in a Bond movie, but yeah, you know. I mean that's a bit much, but you know. But I mean that this is this this movie feels, and I think that's for a lot of its detractors. I think that's what most people don't like about it. But this is, for all intents and purposes, this is the most accurate adaptation of an Ian Fleming novel in terms of what happens in this movie. And versus what happens in the actual book. Like this is the most real, this is the most grounded, it's the most honest adaptation. So I don't know. Something to be said. Well, that's just something that happened over time, right? Like the James Bond in the movies, it's it's just an entire franchise of in name only adaptations, right? Like Yeah, particularly toward the end where they're just where literally they they start taking the names of Ian Fleming short stories and putting them in front of Bond movies, even though they have nothing to do with them. Like Quantum of Solace. Well, I think the last time they tried that or like naming it after something Fleming adjacent or Fleming related versus something that Fleming actually did. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that, but there doesn't seem to really be a whole lot of people wanting accurate James Bond book adaptations anymore. We're, we're all about the, we're all about the flashy Kingsman style over the top shenanigans. Sure. And I'm going to be honest, when they rebooted with Daniel Craig, I thought that we what we were going to get next 
was a series of very faithful adaptations to the Fleming novels. Uh, and they pretty much did one fairly relatively faithful adaptation and then just decided to do their own thing, uh, which is fine. That, that's okay. But by the same token, I was like, oh, we kind of a missed opportunity there, but oh, well. Well, stop me if I'm wrong. They did. And I, I very well could be wrong about this, but I thought they at least did something novel and decided to actually do an ongoing story instead of just standalone stories. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, well, and then new. they gradually started tying that back to the larger James Bond mythos as well. So, I mean, that's cool. That's mm-hmm. something they hadn't done before. So, I mean, yeah. Whereas, I mean, by and large, the Bond films are fairly episodic with, you know, the looming specter of specter. Pun intended. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> kind of hanging over everything which i guess is how specter gets its name right it's because it is this kind of looming organization over all of the james bond franchise and all of that all that james bond does so it that's kind of why it's called specter i assume but yeah probably but steven we're a what? half hour in and we haven't yeah. even done the plot in 60 seconds yet i i was gonna say um let's let's probably do that so um I've got the coin of justice queued up. Let's do the plot in 60 seconds. That's of course for, for new listeners where we flip our good friend, the coin of justice who uh, dictates to us, which of us will recount the plot of 1969's on her majesty's secret service in 60 seconds or less. Brett, are you ready to call it in the air? Uh, sure. Then call it heads. I hate you so much. How does this, uh, he can't keep getting away with it. Jesse Pinkman, by the way, he can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> And yet he does every time. I hate you so much. Um, and you didn't even watch the movie. I was so excited to make you like do the plot for a movie. I should have just lied and said it came up tails. You um, should have, but I appreciate your honesty. You are an upstanding gentleman, sir. I've never been anything but honest with regard to how the coin of justice shakes out. So uh, because here's the thing. Here's the thing about the coin of justice. Um, the coin of justice is in terms of what we do here, all powerful and its mandates are final. So, yeah. And if, you, if you were to, to defy its uh, ruling, who knows what will happen? Right. I, I Here's the thing. I am not going to chance it. Good so, call. Good call. There you go. Um, so the coin of justice has dictated that I will, again, for, for whatever reason, at this point, I have got to have done this more than you. Like you had such a streak going early on, and by this point, I have easily overtaken you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't. I think I've done it like the last ten times I at least. I don't get it. Like some look, somebody out there. Uh, I don't care who. Somebody run probability <laughs> on fifty-fifty chances. How yep. how much should I have bought a lottery ticket by now? <laughs> All right, let's do this. You got 60 seconds on the clock? Oh, yeah, that's that's the thing I have to do. I was so... uh, I mean, if you want to take it, I will happily... I was so engrossed by the fact that I'm still going. All right. Uh, Your your time starts right now. James Bond, this time played by George Lazenby, uh, saves a woman from committing suicide by drowning on the beach. Uh, He then uh, follows her to a casino, and uh, they make sweet, sweet loving. And uh, then he finds out that she is... Um, the daughter of a, a crime, a crime lord, 
and the crime lord wants him to tame her which is super gross um anyway he uh get, gets uh tasked later with going to burn switzerland to uh, infiltrate the 30 seconds organization inspector by ernst stavro blofeld played by telly savalas uh he pretends to be a genealogist um and uh ends up going there and there's a bunch of women uh who are a part of this they think it's helping them and in fact he's brainwashing them into assassinating people like zoolander i guess is the plot um there's a big ski chase uh tracy helps him escape that's the girl from the beginning that he helps from suicide um they escape uh they get away he ends up marrying her in portugal they leave that's time there's a drive-by shooting and she dies i was almost done almost there i was so close Literally, I was right there. Well, thank you for telling me how the movie ended. You're welcome. Uh, it's it's actually a really poignant ending. There, literally, it's uh, it's Irma and uh, Blofeld drive by and shoot up the car, and uh, she uh, Bond uh, manages to survive, but Tracy um, dies via head wound, and so uh, Bond's like cradling her lifeless body as a officer shows up and he just keeps whispering it's okay it's okay we've got all the time in the world um and it's it's actually like one of the most one of the more um downbeat james bond endings uh honestly uh and it's it's actually really poignant and sad and uh it's kind of a bummer you didn't see it well let's be honest i don't know if i would have appreciated it at that point (laughs) i would have just been waiting for the movie to end (sighs) you're just you're such a philistine brett Wow, Steven, damn. All right, carry on. But yeah, no, I think this is this is a great movie. Um, so in canonically in the books, this is actually the first meeting between James Bond and Blofeld, which is why when the two of them meet uh, in this movie, they don't recognize each other. Uh, whereas canonically in the films, they had met in the previous movie, uh, which was... Uh, uh, you only live twice was the previous film uh and then that one the role of blofeld was played by disenfranchised favorite actor donald pleasance so he is so they they do actually meet face to face in that movie um but again because this is such a faithful adaptation it leads to this kind of disconnect between the films because in the books this is the first time they'd met and had they met before and Blofeld and Bond were actually the same two people, then Blofeld probably would have recognized James Bond and vice versa, Um, which has led to one of my favorite fan. No, I'll I'll just say it's my favorite fan theory and the only one I actually subscribe to, which is the theory. And I know a lot of diehard Bond fans absolutely hate this theory, but I think it actually makes sense which is the idea that uh, James Bond is not a actual person, but is instead a, a mantle that is passed on from spy to spy and different, different actual individuals take up the mantle of James Bond uh, throughout history. I know, again, I know Eon does not subscribe to that diehard James Bond fans do not subscribe to that. In my thinking, it's the only explanation that actually makes any kind of sense. Well, yeah, I've seen, I've, I've actually watched a couple of videos about it and there's, there's way too much evidence because most people strike this movie from Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the only movie that gives any credible evidence to that theory. Uh, if you watch all of the other movies, there's tons of evidence against that theory. 
Sure. Um, and I, I think it depends on what you choose to, because there, there, there have been some of those videos I've, cause I've watched a few of the same where they're just like, well, we can discredit all of this stuff, all of these things that prove this theory, because we're going to ignore those. And we're going to focus on all these things that disprove that theory. Whereas if you paid attention to the stuff that you say disproves that theory, it actually makes the other theory seem a lot more credible. So I don't know. I think it's just a matter of preference. Um, I, I like the idea that there are multiple bonds. It makes sense that this would be the only Lazenby bond then, because as soon as he starts, takes on the role of James Bond, the woman that he loves ends up dying at the end of it. And so he just kind of backs out of the spy game altogether. Like that makes sense. And they have to call up the previous guy um, to, to take over again. And then he decides, no, I'm actually going to bow out. And then they have to find another James Bond. It also doesn't make sense that it's the same James Bond acting from the mid 60s all the way to the late 90s, early 2000s um, with that, with him still being, you know, the same age that Pierce Brosnan is that just if you're subscribing to that theory, it just doesn't make sense. That's all movie shenanigans, though. Like... I'm, but I'm but I'm just saying, I mean, it again, if you're willing to discredit it as movie shenanigans, then you can discredit. I mean, you can you can just pick or choose whichever theory you want to subscribe to is what I'm saying. I'm I'm not going to go through and pick apart like, well, this is the reason why it is the same person. And this is the reason why it isn't. I just I don't care. I'm not a, I'm not that kind of nerd. I just think it makes sense and is kind of a fun thing to think about. And if you don't, that's cool. You're a different kind of nerd than I am. Well, I think that's that's all of that is one of the reasons this yet another reason why this fits our criteria, Mm -hmm. because this movie is not considered canon by most fans because it's separate. It's 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 the only movie that lends credit, like, in my opinion, lends credibility to the it's just a mantle theory because he even has a line at the beginning i bet that doesn't happen to the last guy yeah um so which is meant as it's meant as a throwaway joke but it's very much and kind of a wink and nod to the audience and then the very next movie which i think is diamonds are forever it begins by like saying oh well we're glad you're back from your long vacation bond or 007 you know is the referencing the fact that oh Connery wasn't in the last one. It was that other guy, you know? So, I mean, there are kind of these in-universe winks to that, but I don't know. I just think, yeah. I just think it's fun. That theory is fun. Or, or the fact that Blofeld, when he finds out that he's Bond, doesn't go, you're not Bond. I've met right. Bond. Right. Like, I know so, James, I know 007 and you, sir, are no 007. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's, it's perfect for something for Blofeld to say. Right. Um, but it's whatever, man. It doesn't really matter at the end no. of the day. It's just a fun thing to think about. It's a fun fan theory. And, you know, and here's that's the thing. how it I, stay. I generally don't like fan theories, just as a rule. Um, but this is this is the one exception, I think, to that for me, personally. Like, I just think it's a fun fan theory. And uh, I like it. And I think it actually, unlike most fan theories, actually, like, makes the movies a little better and a little more fun. So, again, you may disagree. Your mileage may vary, and that's fine. It's okay to have an opinion different from another person's opinion. Yeah. It's okay to have an opinion different from a large corporation and uh, character copyright holder um, as well. You know, it's it's okay to have a different opinion from their opinion also. So, Exactly. Because you know what? Just don't be a dick. Yeah, just don't be a dick about it. Just, you know, like what you like. It's fine. Just don't be a dick about it. Yeah, you know our motto here, disenfranchised, don't be a fan, just like stuff. Just like stuff, man. Just like what you like. It's okay. 
and uh, and we'll let you like what you like if you let us like what we like. It, that seems fair. Yeah, take this take this episode for example. Uh, I don't like this movie, and Stephen thinks I'm a philistine for even considering not liking this movie. So, <laughs> but does that mean that I hate Stephen? No, no. We, re- we respect one another's opinions. Correct. Even if he's kind of mean about it sometimes, I, it's okay. I have probably called you worse things than a philistine. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> have you? Wait, don't answer that. <laughs> Uh, so the director of this film, Peter Hunt, had previously been an editor on a lot of the other Bond films, actually. Um, he was an editor on uh, Dr. No from Rush With Love, Goldfinger. Um, and he was also an editor on another um, 60s era spy uh, franchise, The Ipcress File, uh, starring Michael Kine, um, which is uh, kind of one of those forgotten British spy uh, franchises, but he was uh, a long-serving editor for the Eon Corporation for the Broccoli family. Uh, he had done a lot of Bond movies, and so they're like, "Hey, we'll let you take your shot at directing one of these." And this was the movie that he directed, and uh, I think it's great. I mean, like cinematography and direction, not bad. I mean, yeah, for a movie of this era, I thought it was fine. Yeah, looks good. Um, and and I think he's. It's very much a movie. It, it also is very much a movie set in its time and place. And I think that's nowhere more apparent than the wardrobe. Like Bond is wearing like ascots and cravats and like nowhere does Bond look like more of a fancy boy than he does here, which I think is another reason why this movie lends credence to the different act, different Bond is different people theories, because no other Bond looks like George Lazenby's Bond. Like he is, he's very much dressing in what counts for like late sixties, cool, like late sixties fashion. Yeah. If you would tell me that, uh, Mike Myers based his awesome powers on this bond, I would believe you at least in terms of the like clothing choices, hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Like, uh, I mean the, the the suit that he wears in burn is pretty much like from the neck to the waist is pretty much the Austin powers suit. Like it, it's with the blue jacket and the ruffles. Like it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which is again, it's great. Um, but yeah, so Lazen George Lazenby is an Australian model. And he is the the lucky man who lands the gig of James Bond. Before this, I think he was mostly in advertisements in Great Britain because this is his very first film role. Uh, he has never done another film before this one. This is his very first film role, and he is the lead of a major franchise. Uh, so that is wild that this is his it's, very first film. It's got doomed to fail written all over it, though. <laughs> Like, I'm not, I mean, like, with that literally. attitude, sure. Well, no, but like, no, I mean, take all that into consideration. You're taking somebody who theoretically has no acting experience, has only been a model, gets the part mostly because of how he looks, mm-hmm. and you're going to throw him as the lead in a major franchise that's got doomed to fail written all over, regardless of what you think about this movie. Sure. I mean, Brandon Routh is in kind of a similar situation when he takes over as Superman in 2006, although he actually has credits to his name prior to that. 
Um, not a lot of them, mind you. Like he's still very much an unknown, but he gets count cast as as Clark Kent and Superman based again predominantly on how he looks. Now that is, of course, another movie that we will absolutely cover on this podcast one day though it'll probably be a while because that director is uh awful fully canceled and our original he who shall not be named so you know we're gonna have to talk about an entire episode of <laughs> uh, where we don't mention the director at all uh even though there is plenty to talk about with that director Ooh. i mean it's, we definitely could just because of him strike that episode from the record altogether we don't have sure. to talk about that movie because of him sure sure I mean, there are other Superman adjacent stuff that we can talk about. That's that's very true. Yeah. I mean, it's a, um, it's a real John Landis situation. Like we don't. Sure. But not only not only is the director like fully canceled, but the main villain, the actor playing the main villain in that movie also fully canceled. Like that's oh, one yeah. of those like just like cursed movie kind of things. That's a double reason to not talk about that movie ever. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, George Lazenby, uh, he goes on to. Uh, to work in a, in a lot of other van, like he still maintains work over the course of his career. But I mean, this is easily the biggest movie he has ever done and will ever do. And it's his very first one. He's still around, still kicking. Uh, he was born in 1939, which makes him hang on. I'm trying to do some math here real quick. 82 years old right now. And he, I mean, he's still kicking. He's still working. He's still making things. Uh, he, there's a Hulu documentary about him called Becoming Bond, which is really interesting. Uh, if you've not checked it out, I would highly recommend that you do so. But it's basically kind of about his story and how he became James Bond. So uh, pretty interesting and why he never did it again after this after this movie, um, which essentially comes down to a couple of things. Uh, one, his agent told him to. Uh, to, to get out while the getting is good because there's no way bond will be able to last after the sixties. Things are changing too fast, man. Uh, <laughs> and right. <laughs> kind of one of those, like taking the bad advice from the wrong people. And I think he's also on some level worried about just being in Connery's shadow and wanting to try to break out and do something on his own. Ultimately that doesn't work for him. And ultimately the bond franchise keeps going strong to this day. So Ultimately doesn't work out for him, but literally that's why this is the only George Lazenby movie. But here's the thing. I kind of like him as James Bond. Like, I think he he pulls off the effortless cool. Um, he does the, I mean, he is absolutely believable in the scenes where he is needing to like, where he's able to like effortlessly seduce women, but also he's very believable doing the actual like fighting um, and the, the spy craft itself. Now, uh, his voice was dubbed in when he is uh, uh, masquerading as Hillary Bray, uh, who is the genealogist, uh, which is his his cover when he goes into Bern, Switzerland. But I mean, this is one of the only movies where James Bond is pretending to be someone not named James Bond, because usually everyone just knows who James Bond is, which kind of makes him the worst spy ever. But in this one, like he's still a spy. He he's still kind of this just always struck me as weird. Like everyone's like, ah, Mr. Bond. And he's just everyone just knows who he is. Oh, OK. It's now. Oh, did you see that guy? It's James Bond. Just follow James Bond, kids. Which is so I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of Bonds, to be fair. Mm -hmm. But is it is it normal for them to for people to refer to him as Commander Bond? That So he is a naval uh, naval intelligence. 
So he is that is actually his military rank is commander. Yes. Okay. I just I don't remember. And again, I haven't seen a whole lot of movies, so stop me if I'm terribly wrong. But it, it felt weird when they called him Commander Bond. Is that something they call him in other movies a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It felt weird for some reason. I don't know why. Well, and again, but, you know, that's a character like that. Like, that is his title. Um, like, the character itself uh, was created in... We, we didn't do any work on the character. Oh, my gosh. we're, we're This is a, such a bad podcast. Why does anyone listen to this podcast? God, uh, but, I don't know. hey we appreciate you for listening (laughs) we love you (laughs) thank you uh james bond invented by uh journalist and novelist ian fleming in 1953 uh based on um exploits that fleming and uh uh, certain other com uh compatriots of his uh experienced during the second world war on a team that included actor uh christopher lee if i'm not mistaken like Christopher Lee did a lot of that kind of stuff as well. And I think Roald Dahl might've also been part of that organization. Like there were, there were a, a few famous people that kind of came out of that world. Um, wow. All right. That's cool. Yeah. But, um, but in this, uh, so, you know, there are aspects I think of James Bond because he, he's coming out of a very, you know, world war two pro Britain kind of sensibility. So there is this like intense Britishness to that character, this kind of British Imperial ness to the character that has that aspect of the character, I think has since fallen very out of fashion. Um, But I think that's essentially kind of what that, that thing that's baked into the character that I think a lot of people in this era are responding to. And the films themselves are very um, indebted to that reading. And, in future versions have to kind of steer away from it as um, imperialism becomes uh, less and less fashionable because of its, um, uh, because of its, its terribleness really as, as a, as an ideology. Um, But he bases the look of the character on singer Hoagie Carmichael. Uh, Hoagie Carmichael has um, very in very pronounced features. I'm actually going to, message you this link to hoagie carmichael's picture here in the chat so you can take a look at what james bond is supposed to look like um but he's got kind of you know long long we don't even want to say angular features he's got kind of a hangdog expression a large nose slicked back hair i mean not an unattractive gentleman by any stretch of the imagination but also not what you expect when you think of james bond either i I don't know he looks kind of like daniel craig you think so He's a little, he's a little Daniel Craigie. He's, I, maybe if, maybe if you took Daniel Craig's face and just kind of stretched it a little lengthwise, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got a little, I don't know, man. He's got a little, maybe a little Roger Moore, maybe a little, little Daniel Craig, but I don't know, man. Um, This feels like, I mean, yeah, I look at that picture and I'm like, yeah, that's totally James Bond. But the idea of, uh, the character Fleming said in an interview with the New Yorker, when I wrote the first one bond novel in 1953, I wanted bond to be an extremely dull, uninteresting man to whom things happened. I wanted him to be a blunt instrument. When I was casting around for the name of my protagonist, I thought by God, James Bond is the dullest name I ever heard. It actually belonged to an ornithologist that I think Fleming knew. Um, uh, I wanted the simplest, dullest, plainest sounding name I could find. James Bond was much better sounding or was much better than something more interesting like Peregr- Peregrine Carruthers. 
exotic things would happen to and around him, but he would be a neutral figure, an anonymous blunt instrument wielded by a government department, Um, which, again, feels very much like what Bond is here versus who Bond is in, in, I think, most other castings. And I think the Bond as blunt instrument is, is, I think, more interesting to me, which is why I think I enjoy more the Bonds utilized in that capacity than the more proactive the, the the more proactive bonds but that's again a matter of personal preference man i really want to see a peregrine carruthers series now. right i that's just <laughs> such such a cool name such that, a cool name that name is fantastic it's uh, great yeah so look look forward to the uh the peregrine Carruthers um series i guess <laughs> coming soon from brett from disenfranchised publishing yes <laughs> our, our our imprint label <laughs> uh, yeah no, it's it's hilarious so, like this what he thought was such a boring name has become like honestly one of the most badass names just synonymous with cool and yeah. i think honestly i think so much of that is because honestly just because of connery's delivery of bond james bond like, oh yeah, that imbues it with such so much cool that the that basically some I mean Connery kind of becomes the to this day the staple of what that character should be. He's the platonic ideal of what of what James Bond is. Yeah, we we have Sean Connery to thank for everything that James Bond has become. I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah, much much to I think Connery's. Um, great joy and great anguish i think he he became so incredibly in, in, indelible or in, inextricable from that character i think that was kind of his big regret is he never liked playing james bond versus other actors like terrence stamp who once went on record saying you know i've always wanted to play james bond but never never got his chance but i mean when they when they were looking at casting james bond they did look at two potential future bonds. They did look at both Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton. Uh, Timothy Dalton turned them down because he felt he was too young at the time, which he absolutely was. Uh, and Roger Moore turned down because he was working on the saint at the time. Um, see previous episode on the saint with Val Kilmer and Elizabeth Shue. Um, but so, and that's kind of the, that kind of becomes the the habit for Bond is when they start looking for actors, they've got a couple of people in mind. And when they don't work out the first time, they come back to them later and go, hey, you remember when we talked to you about Bond? You you interested again? Yes? No? Which is why if the next Bond turns out to be Clive Owen, I will not be very surprised. Honestly, I am in the camp that a lot of people are in right now and that we would really love to see Idris Elba play the part next. I think Idris Elba is a little too old at this point. I think if he'd have taken over when Craig did, I think it would have been perfect. But I think at this point, he's a little too old. I would like to see them go a little outside the box. But again, that's me. Well, it's, it's a very Doctor Who situation, right? Like Idris sure. Elba playing the part is outside of the box for these people. Uh, right, <laughs> right. But I think he, he, in a lot of ways, he seems to be the heir apparent. And I don't think he's particularly interested based on some of the things that I've read. Like, cause they go, Hey, should, should James Bond be black? And he's like, I don't know. Why isn't James Bond a woman? And everyone's like, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, they look, man, Dr. Who broke that glass ceiling. So maybe sure. we finally get a female bond. Who knows? From what I am given to understand from what I have read about no time to die. It takes place when James Bond has retired 
And there is a new 007 who is played by uh, Lashana Lynch, who is a uh, who she is the um, actress who plays uh, Monica Rambeau in or Maria Rambeau, rather, in Captain Captain Marvel. So um, she is both Af- uh, she is both uh, of African descent. She is black and she is uh, British uh, and female. So oh, actually, she's already, of Jamaican descent. Sorry, I can already hear the angry nerdy incel comments now my god i feel sorry for her if they choose her i really do she's gonna get so much shit uh but uh, here's her here's her character description as uh, lashana lynch as nomi uh a new double o agent who entered active service sometime after bond's retirement and was assigned the 007 number so she is 007 in this movie um now i would not be terribly surprised if they killed her off in order to advance the plot just kind of fridged her because it's an it's a male led action franchise. It it seems like something they would probably do. Yeah, probably. But I don't want that to happen. I think it would be cool if she was the next Bond. I think she would be really good at it. Um, but yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, so do I. But you know, you're right. Like we're gonna call it. We haven't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're gonna the movie call actually it. does not come out until October the eighth, which is a week after this episode drops. Usually, we would try to release this week of, uh, but they pushed the date. Uh, forward a bunch so now it um or to push the date back i think again so now it is uh interfering with spookython so spookython will be next week which is why we're doing this now look enjoy it yeah uh, we didn't want to interfere with spookython because we know how much you guys like it um, and how much we like it as well and so, how yeah. much we like it as well so you know look it's still fine yeah you know, listen to this and then go watch the movie next week and tell us if we were right if they'd uh, fridged the character. I, I mean, I'll, I, will. I will be watching it and I will be able to tell you one way or the other. So there you go. I look, I look forward to that. I might watch it. Who knows? It's is I mean, after having seen all the other. And here's the thing. It's got to be it's got to be better than Spectre, which is uh, easily the worst of the Craig Bonds by a country mile. Yeah, I, I mean, no. I think I did enjoy Quantum of Solace maybe a little less, but they're both pretty bad. They're both pretty indefensible. I have seen most of the Daniel Craig Bonds, but I don't think I saw the last one, so I can't really speak to that. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Um, but yeah, so uh, I mean, look, I I like uh, this movie. I think Lazenby does a pretty good job of kind of Bond as he was initially conceived. I do also want to talk. We need to talk about Diana Rigg and we need to talk about Telly Savalas. We have to. Uh, Diana Rigg, uh, RIP, Diana Rigg died actually last year, last September, almost a year or a little over a year ago. She passed away. Um, but she is uh, she was known at this point predominantly and honestly still to this day is predominantly known as Emma Peel uh, in the uh, the the Avengers, which, again, um, speaking of kind of anti bond characters, John Steed is definitely kind of of that mold um, is uh, a very different kind of spy. Um, but this movie comes out a year after the that series wraps. So she is, again, has had her prominence on that role and then takes the role of in this movie. Apparently does not like George Lazenby very much, does not get along with him very well. Um, the two of them, uh, can, a bit of a contentious relationship on set. Um, 
but she goes on. Uh, I mean, her next, her other big role, I guess, for us now, she is in uh, Game of Thrones, also as uh, the uh, the head of the house Tyrell, uh, Oleana Tyrell, uh, the 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 old woman doing all of the evil machinations behind the scenes for House Tyrell. Um, but I mean, she's I mean, Dame Diana. She's she's a, a very prolific, very long lived uh, British actress and uh, uh, I miss her. She's great. Um, but yeah. And I think I think Teresa the or Tracy, the character that she plays, is probably one of the best Bond girls that we see uh, is kind of a really good match for Bond on a lot of levels and uh, ultimately the only one who was ever able to tie him down. No, not, it wasn't there. The, the, who's the one in the Daniel Craig series that like got close to doing that? Vesper Lind. But she yeah. dies before that opportunity ever really presented itself. But doesn't um, this one also die before that opportunity presents itself? No, because they get married and then she dies. So she actually oh, does no. tie him down and then she dies. Oh, okay. So like yeah. it's tomato, 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 six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, but yeah, she actually, Diana Riggs, uh, final credited role is going to be in, uh, last night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie that is coming up, uh, hopefully very soon. I've, I've heard a lot about that movie and really, really want to see it. And, but apparently Diana Rigg will be playing a role in that movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That movie does look very good. I am looking forward to it. So that, that will be Diana Riggs last, uh, last role. And uh, I, for one, am looking forward to seeing it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but she is she's she's an absolute icon. Absolute fantastic. Um, yeah. Love Diana Rigg. Absolutely. And then there's Telly Savalas, who loves your baby, Kojak himself, uh, who I first saw in The Dirty Dozen, where he plays uh, Maggot. His character's name is Maggot. And uh, it is. Have you seen The Dirty Dozen, Brett? I don't believe I have. No, it's so freaking good. Telly Savalas is like basically an unhinged like lunatic in it. And he's so good. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, He's Pontius Pilate in The Greatest Story Ever Told. Again, his most prominent role for uh, U.S. audiences is absolutely Kojak where he, you know, the lollipop sucking Greek detective from Chicago who loves that. I'm aware of. I am. I'm aware of that. Okay. I know him from that. Gotcha. But um, he's also, he's in the Muppet movie, which is a perfect film. He plays the, I think the boyfriend of Madeline Kahn who like tries to like beat up Kermit for, for moving in on his girl. Um, But yeah, it, I mean, he's great. I love, I love Telly Savalas. I think he's a fan, again, another fantastic actor. Um, I kind of love him as Blofeld in this movie because again, he's, I think he's doing a good job of playing the ma- the kind of the mastermind, but unlike Pleasance, he's not putting as much mustard on it. Like we talked in our Dracula episode about, and this is a thing we love about Pleasance, but Pleasance likes to make those big C choices. And Savalas isn't really making any of those. He's just like, this is how a mastermind plays it. This is how I'm going to play it. Let's be honest though. Steven, would anybody be able to live up to a Donald Pleasance performance? No. And I mean, Donald Pleasance is, I would say the most iconic portrayal of, of Blofeld for sure. Like he's the one that Dr. Evil is absolutely based on in its entirety 
from the bald head to the gray jumpsuit to the, you know, sucking on the pinky thing. Like, that's all Pleasance. But I think Savalas is doing, again, really solid work without, again, without putting so much mustard on it. Not to say I don't love Pleasance as Blofeld. I do. I like both of these actors playing these the same role. But, you know, I, I, I like them both for different reasons. Ultimately, I think this is the better film. So I think I've got to give a slight advantage to Savalas. But again, I cannot deny, like, it's undeniable what Pleasance is doing. Like, oh, yeah, like, he's, like Pleasance putting, putting a lot of mustard on it. Savalas, maybe just putting some ketchup on it. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe just uh, maybe. I mean, he is from, you know, I, I don't want to say he's from Chicago. He's actually born in New York. Um, but, you know, Kojak, Chicago, you know, maybe he's putting the neon green relish and and the, the pickle and the tomato and the celery salt and all the all the stuff that goes on a Chicago dog. Maybe that's what he's putting on it. I don't know. But uh, but I love it. That's that's the thing. I love it. I think he's doing I think they're both doing great work. But I I like I like Savalas's portrayal. And again, part of that is because of the grounded nature of the portrayal. Like. Really. And I think part of the reason why this movie doesn't hit with audiences is because it's a much more grounded movie when up to this point, the Bond films have been getting progressively more unhinged. Like they just keep ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. And this one takes everything down a little bit and is plays it a lot quieter, which is why I think it's so great. I think the people that like it, I think they like that about it. But, um, you know, if you're a diehard James Bond fan, maybe this one isn't your cup of tea. Yeah. Cause I, I do remember thinking as I was watching this is like, this is and even though I, because much like you, I back in the day, I saw bits and pieces of old Bond films. I never watched one altogether. Mm-hmm. So I am more familiar with the Donald Pleasance Blofeld. So like when this Blofeld is on screen, I remember being incredibly underwhelmed by it. Just like mm-hmm. he's playing this very straight. He doesn't even come off as that menacing. He doesn't come off as that like, He's supposed to be basically a supervillain, more or less. Like, and he doesn't. He just he's just a regular dude trying to take over the world and ruin yeah. the world's economy, right? So, right. like, I it's just I don't know, man. I guess look, I guess at the end of the day, what I've learned throughout this episode is I just I like my spy movies over the top in all I- senses of the word. And here's the thing. That's one of one of the one of my favorite things about the Bond franchise is that there is something in it for everyone. Like if you like that kind of over the top bizarre spycraft, you've got your early Connery movies, you've got your Roger Moore movies, particularly your late Roger Moore movies like that are very gadget heavy and goofy like Moonraker. He goes to space. James Bond doesn't need to go to space, but Star Wars had just come out, so James Bond absolutely needs well, to go to space. Yeah, of course he does. They just just put that on the poster. James Bond dot 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 in space. That Let's might see. have actually been the tagline for Moonraker. You say that as a joke, <laughs> but that might have actually been the, the, the tagline for Moonraker. I'm going to look it up. Uh, I did look up, just so we don't get emails about it later, I did look up uh, Kojak. Apparently, he was not a Chicago cop. I could have sworn he was a Chicago cop. Apparently, he was from New York, um, but I did not know that. And also, real quick, I'd be remiss if I did not say Spice. Spice. James Bond in Spice. Spice. Uh, that is one of two movies where the character Jaws shows up, too. You see, you also love like a really weird henchman with a gimmick. Like, <laughs> I love a henchman with a gimmick, man. A lot of those Bond movies had those gimmicky henchmen. Okay, the actual tagline for Moonraker, 
where all the other bonds end dot 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 so you got the dots this one begins oh boy and apparently where all other james bonds end is space apparently apparently i don't know i'm just i mm. but yeah that's that there's your tagline for moonraker um but yeah i mean it is it's truly a weird almost unhinged franchise um with lots of highs and lows so i mean you can find your your sweet spot within that franchise and it may not be the same as anyone else's and you know what guys that is okay that is okay um brett do you have any other things to say about on her majesty's secret service unfortunately no i wish i did i wish you did too but i i really kind of don't I'm not going to lie. I kind of was, I was kind of hoping you'd like this one a little more than you do, but I, I, I just, you know, just honestly, a, a teased. I went in with high hopes. Cause I'm like, I, you know, I'm a fan of a bond movie. And you knew that I had a, a quite an affinity for this one. Cause I had pretty much let that slip in our text thread. I, but I, I don't know. I, like I said, I went in with high hopes and I, was very disappointed. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe I should have went in with lower expectations. Well, and I think again, if you, again, if your familiarity with or or conception of Bond is that like really hyper stylized gadget kind of thing, this one's going to disappoint you because that's not what this movie is. Like this is about spycraft and a guy who's actually a spy. Now it does cement a lot of you know things that will get revisited back in later Bond movies. The fact that Bond was married, I think gets revisited in a couple of them. The fact that the world is not enough is the Bond family motto on the Bond family crest is introduced in this movie, which then becomes the title of the movie. The world is not enough because at that point they were out of James Bond stories. So they just made a new James Bond story and grafted a Bond sounding thing to it. Like, it like this movie does introduce a lot of things that do get revisited in later bond movies, which is interesting considering this is a movie that is often forgotten about or, or kind of re or relegated to non-canon, I guess I should say. Um, there's a scene at the beginning where bond is rummaging through his desk after he has quit MI six. And uh, he's like digging out basically things from all the other movies that came previous which a lot of people point to as, ah, but this is the same guy because he's got all this stuff. Who's to say you didn't just inherit that guy's office and this is just stuff he left behind? You know, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, this this movie references all the previous Bond movies as a way of making Lazenby seem like he's been in canon all the time. Like, this guy's always been James Bond. What are you talking about? Um, and then kind of dismisses him just as quickly. Uh, one interesting thing that this movie does do is it leaves his face out of a lot of the marketing. Uh, so if you look uh, our our Tuesday teaser that I put out on social media, if you look at that poster, um, it's it's basically a guy who looks a lot like Bond with his arms crossed and then the words Bond is back over his face. So instead of a face, it's just the words Bond is back. Uh, so, I mean, they really kept his face out of a lot of the marketing. And if you look at the beginning, he's got an introduction very similar to the one that Bond gets, I think it's in Goldfinger or maybe Dr. No, but where it's a lot of close-ups of his hands, his face, like his cigarette, like without actually showing his full face. So you don't get that reveal until like the money shot later on in the opening. That's interesting, especially considering he's, he's a model. You, you should be right. marketing how he looks. But again, you know, because Connery so embodied that role, and this is one of the first times in a major franchise where you have like a character kind of passing on to another actor like that doesn't happen much 
uh, in those days. It happens all the time now, but in those days, it didn't happen quite as much. So, you know, they want him to be seen as James Bond and, and to market this as a James Bond movie, not on the strength of Connery, who we all know is James Bond, but on the strength of, hey, this is James Bond, that character you like. Yeah, the sort of switcheroo marketing that they do nowadays. I'm looking yep. at Ghostbusters 2016. Yeah. <laughs> so bitter. Look, man, they tried to market it directly to our nostalgia when that movie had nothing to do with our nostalgia. Okay, I'm Is that why you don't again. like that movie? There's, that's one of the reasons. But yeah, we'll get into that later. Sure. We've got a whole Ghostbusters episode coming up, guys. Which we don't keep even teasing. About it. We keep teasing it. Don't worry. Well, we'll get there. We're releasing it when Ghostbusters Afterlife comes out, and that movie keeps getting pushed back, keeps getting pushed back. So we'll keep teasing it until we actually get to do it. But yeah, it's coming. Don't don't even worry about and it. And I mean, I, I don't mean to like intentionally bring it up, but like that's a perfect example of the sort of marketing that it's the switcheroo marketing where they're trying to fool the audience into spending the money, sure, but not being entirely honest with them about what's going on. So prior to this, the franchise had really hit a lot of record highs like the movies had, if not just keep making, kept making more money, they definitely kept getting more profitable. So like Dr. No earns about 60 million internationally or worldwide rather from Russia with love 79 worldwide Goldfinger 125 million worldwide. Thunderball 141 million worldwide. You only live twice 111 worldwide so um when this one comes out and only makes uh 22.8 million domestic and about 82 million worldwide it's seen as something of a disappointment which is another reason why i mean a lot of people would say well lazenby is basically asked to leave the franchise lazenby left of his own accord they were willing to go forward with the Bond franchise, with Lazenby as the lead. Lazenby left for his own reasons, but I'm sure the fact that there's a different actor playing Bond didn't sit well with a lot of people. And Diamonds Are Forever, the next film that comes out in 71, that one makes $116 million at the box office. So we're back at the rising numbers. Uh, and then Roger Moore takes over and earns the most money a Bond movie has made up to that point. And this kind of then feels kind of like a weird fluke like just kind of a mistake that we made in handing this franchise over to an Australian actor. I ultimately don't think that's the case. Again, that's my own kind of personal um, perspective coming in there a little bit, but you know, I, I think this movie was unfairly maligned at the time for a few different reasons. Um, but I think it's gotten a lot of critical reappraisal over the years. A lot of people have gone back and revisited it, revisited this one and said, Oh, this one rules actually. Uh, and it does. It's one of my favorite Bond movies. Um, I think it's actually really, really good. Um, I know, again, you disagree with me, but that's, again, I think a matter of preference. And like we said, this movie, there, there's something in this franchise for everyone. Um, so there's no need to get hung up on like which Bonds and which um, movies that we like and don't like, although we will absolutely get into that. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, I, it's interesting because like, I wonder if 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 Lazenby hadn't left and they had stuck with him for another movie, do you think that kills the franchise or do you think they still try to be like, all right, you're not doing well enough. Let's bring in somebody else. And then it's just like, then we, we get what's the next diamonds are forever is the next one. Diamonds are forever would have been the one that he would have done. Okay. So yeah, we do diamonds are forever with him. Yeah. It tanks. 
well, then I think we go, we either do what they ended up doing, which is passing the franchise on to more, yeah. or they try to get Connery back for another, which is what they, again, actually ended up doing. So they got Connery back for one more and then pass the franchise on to more. Yeah. So I guess, is, do you think that the, this was always going to happen this way? Or Probably. Honestly, probably like and it's again, it's hard to say, like if if Lazenby had different management, if he had not if if that management and himself had not completely lost faith in the Bond franchise for one reason or another, like would it have done better? It's entirely possible. Um, would he have been, you know, in the role for a long time? Maybe. Um, ultimately, though, this is all we have to go on. Um, and so, again, this movie does kind of feel like a weird outlier. Like I grew up being told this is the worst Bond movie. So I was really not looking forward to watching this one. And then I watched it last year and I went, no, this one actually rules. This one's actually really good. Um, Again, your mileage on that opinion may vary, but like I was really pleasantly surprised. And and upon rewatch this year, when I rewatched it for this podcast, um, yeah, it still really rules. It's still really great. I like it a lot. I disagree, but it's a matter of preference. It's what you like in a spy movie. At the end of the day, it's what you like in a spy movie, man. Like that's and that's you, ultimately it. It comes down to yeah. If if you want over the top gadgets and over the top villains and henchmen with gimmicks, you know you've got plenty of other Bond films to go watch, and plenty but of if, other non Bond films to watch. Yeah, and if you if you like more of the type of spy movie that Stevens into, you've got this. Yeah, this is this this one's for you. Tomatometer score on this one, 81%. The critics' consensus, George Lazenby's only appearance as 007 is a fine entry in the series, featuring one of the most intriguing Bond girls in uh, Tracy DiVincenzo, Diana Rigg, breathtaking visuals, and some great ski chases. Uh, the Metacritic score is 61, based on generally favorable reviews from 12 critics. And the letterbox score is a 3.4. Brett, how did you rate on Her Majesty's Secret Service out of five stars? So based on all of those numbers you just gave me, I don't feel like I'm in the majority. Because uh, I gave it like a one and a half. Oh, whereas I gave it a four and a half. I just meant you're in the majority based on like the type of spy movie you seem to like. Because that is the type of spy movie I think that gets made a lot more than this one. Unfortunately, like I don't have a whole lot of spy movies that I can go to and be like, ah, yes, the, the, the subtle intriguey kind of spy movie. Cause even the Jack Ryan stuff is getting more and more action oriented, which I'm just like, ah. I mean, that guy's an analyst, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm just an analyst. Ah, like sure. those is why hunt for red October is the best of those. Speaking of Connery, because it's literally Alec Baldwin like being really bad at action and then going, ah, I'm an analyst. What what does this mean? And doing like all the, you know, the, oh, but he really means this. And I met the guy once and this is what I think he's go- doing right now. Like it's it's all that kind of stuff, like closed door meetings and there's a spy, there's a mole on the ship and who is it? Like all that stuff. I love it. Like, and this movie is very much that. So I give this one four and a half stars. You gave it one and a half stars. But like I said, it's had a critical reappraisal of late. So I think a lot of those critic, uh, critic scores are based on those reappraisal scores and not on maybe the initial critic scores as of 1969. Probably true. Probably true. So, yeah, Uh, this is the point in the episode where normally uh, we would either have a Brett's video game corner, which there was no video game for on her majesty's secret service. No, I mean, was Lazenby a playable character in Goldeneye? Uh, I, 
That's a really good question, actually, because they had all the other Bonds at the time as playable characters in GoldenEye. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't think he was included initially, but he was... Well, yeah, he wasn't included, but all the other Bonds were if you had uh, the Game Genie-style ways to hack the game. The Game uh, Shark, was it? Game Shark, yeah, that sort of thing, where you could unlock the code that was in the game to play as those other bonds, which is why I remember it. Cause at least one of my friends had that stuff gotcha. where we could unlock the characters that were in the coding of the game, but not actually in the game. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I could take this time to talk about golden eye, but eh, I mean, it's not really relevant to this movie. Um, especially more since than likely, there's not a, not a George Lassenby in there. No. And, uh, but there may be another, opportunity for me to talk about GoldenEye the video game hmm. um, maybe maybe on a Patreon uh, let's let's talk about that because again this is a part of the, the show where we would normally pass it off to a, a Brett's video game corner or to a top five list and uh, uh, it should be noted Brett that as of right now we are not doing any more top five lists on this feed or really on this podcast honestly if we're being really honest we're not but why we're not we're not. And I think the reason for that is because starting tomorrow, as of the release of this episode, starting tomorrow, we are going to be launching the disenfranchised Patreon. Ba-bom. Disenfranchised Patreon and free yes. balloons for the kids and free balloons for the kids. Free balloons are not actually for the kids or are they free? So, yeah. So what we are going to do is we're going to actually start a Patreon. So if you want to, uh, a lot of people have been asking for it. People have been talking. They're talking about the Patreon. I don't know what it is. We're looking into it. But, you know, a lot of people are talking. They're saying it's good. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We're actually launching a Patreon tomorrow. Tomorrow you can go to patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Uh, and for the low, low price of just $5, you can get two additional podcasts uh, produced by Brett and I uh, for your ears. So if, if four to five podcasts a month is just not enough for you, uh, hey, guess what? We're going to give you a couple of extras. Um, and what we're going to give you, Brett, is what? So well, what you're going to get uh, for that $5 donation, um, you will get two for now. Two episodes a month of uh, top five lists. That's well. What's it called, Brett? What's what's that? What's that new side podcast called? Uh, it is called Disenfranchised. Hey, what a, a great name! Of, stroke of genius marketing there. <laughs> Synergy, baby. Synergy. Uh, where you know you'll get to hear Stephen and I talk about top five lists of all sorts of things. Uh, we'll go ahead and give you a little teaser right now. Uh, the next one coming up will be James Bond related. And that uh, one will drop on October the 5th. So we're launching the Patreon tomorrow. You got five days to get your monies in. And uh, that way you can be the first, the first of all your friends to hear our first Patreon episode. Top five. It's actually a James Bond stravaganza. Yeah, we're talking top five favorite James Bond movie themes. Top five favorite James Bond films. We're even going to do a power ranking of our Bond actors. Technically, there are six, so it's not going to be a top five, but we're including it on the top five just because, of course, we are. So that is, again, twice a month on the 5th and the 15th. 
uh, you will get new episodes of Disenfranchised uh, from us, two guys that you like. Um, we're we're going to have a bit more information about it uh, tomorrow when it launches. You can tune in back here to the feed and there will be a little uh, a little more information about it. Um, but yeah, that's what we've got for you. And uh, yeah, that's that's uh, the exciting news. So if you want to hear our thoughts on what the best James Bond themes are, who the best James Bond actors are, what the James best James Bond films are. Yeah, we've teased some of that here, but you don't even know the extent of our thoughts on these matters. So tune in tomorrow, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod, and we'll tell you all about it. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, and I hear some of you out there going, yeah, but like, why do I care? Let me tell you why you should care. Because we're we're some cool dudes. Yeah. We have, we have fun banter. Yeah. It's, it's entertaining to listen to. Yeah. And don't you like to be entertained? Yeah. I like to be entertained. Yeah. And being super entertained for just $5 a month, that seems like a pretty good deal. That's a great deal. Five, just, just $5 a month, it's 60 bucks a year. It's really not that bad when you consider all the entertainment value that you get from this podcast. I mean, if you think of all the stuff we're giving you for free, we're going to hold the good stuff back for behind the paywall. You, you better believe that's going to happen. So, I mean, you know, a, a fool and his money are soon parted. Part some of it our way. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, that, that was not all of that was terrible marketing. Steven, you, you quoted them an entire yearly price. You called them fools. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, yeah, because no, you've never insulted our listener base before. Shut up. They don't know that. <laughs> if they've been listening for any length of time, they know that. <laughs> Look, everybody, I love you. Please support our Patreon. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. Like, all joking aside, uh, we want to provide more content for you. We love doing this. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And we hope you have fun listening. So, look, the spiel's over. We've talked about it too long. Let's move on. Yeah. So, I mean, we we won't belabor the point, but yeah. Yeah, Again, tune in tomorrow for more information about that. We'll we'll, we'll have some more to say tomorrow for sure. Um, Until then, this is the Disenfranchised Podcast. You know us. You love us. You can find us on all your social medias at DisenfranchPod. And by all your social medias, I, of course, mean Twitter instagram letterboxd facebook you can find us on all of those you can shoot us an email disenfranchpod at gmail.com let us know how we're doing let us know how terribly misguided and wrong we are about james bond um or or let us know if you're team brett or team steven in the whole james bond argument of it all um we we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, you can also, while you're on uh, your podcatcher of choice, please leave us a nice, juicy five-star rating and review. Would really appreciate it. It's going to help us find a, a lot more listeners uh, and get, you know, spread spread the good word of Disenfranchised for sure. And Which honestly, I feel like it's been happening. It has. And I would say it is the easily the best way that you can help us for sure. Particularly if you don't want to give us five bucks for Patreon, you can absolutely um give us uh, a rating and review five stars because it doesn't cost you anything. And so it's a nice cheap way to, to help us out uh, if you're not quite willing to take the Patreon jump quite yet. Um, but yeah, I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on social media? Should we be so inclined? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at sus sus underscore warlock fantastic so until next time when we launch into spookython 
You've been asking for it. We've been really excited about it. Uh, and we've got some great, great guests. In fact, I'll go, just go ahead and tease what we got next week because we've already recorded that episode. We've had Very that true. episode uh, in the books for like a month now. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Peter Jackson film, going back to Peter Jackson, uh, The Frighteners with uh, Enola Lugosi from the Slayaway uh, Network. Uh, we had a great time talking to them. It was actually a really fantastic conversation. Can't wait to talk to them again. Uh, but it's it's a great episode, and we're excited for you guys to hear it next week. So tune in. Please, because it's our favorite time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a Brett great is, month. Brett has a pumpkin spice latte in front of him as we record this. So I very much do. Yep. He's he's basic all over this thing. And I had a I had a pumpkin muffin and a pumpkin scone and then I drank my pumpkin spice latte. That's that's too much pumpkin for me, but I am glad you like it, my friend. So until next time, uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy for my co-host, Brett Wright and myself. I want that martini shaken, not stirred. Bam, 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 bam,